Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So today we are talking to Liz and Liz wrote us in, um, about a topic that I know when Danae and I were reading it, we were both kind of like, Oh, like my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, it sounds like Liz, you recently separated from your partner, your husband, and you share custody 50, 50 of your two-year-old and you're really struggling with, I mean, I'm going to let you put words to this, but the way that it felt to me is really struggling with like the struggle around that, the sadness around that, mm. the, um, you know, as a mother, like that kind of, I don't know, anxiety struggles, the, the word that just cut, keeps popping up for me when your kiddo has to go away and go to mm. dad's, um, even though you have a really good relationship, it sounds like with dad. Yeah. A little bit deeper into that, like the specific struggles. Sure. Um, I even just got like emotional listening to you talk about it. Um, it's just pain really. Um, every time and we do, it makes it easier because we do drop offs or exchanges, I guess, mostly through daycare, Mm -hmm. um, which is better. Um, but I still end up uh, in tears most of the time when I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to see her now for, and we do every other day. So I'm not going to see her now for like 36 hours. Um, and, um, but when it's really bad is when we do it like once a week during the weekend. And then when she's in tears, leaving me and then I'm in tears and I, you know, um, and as I said, in um, my, message to you guys. Um, my therapist who I've been working with for several years has kind of helped me reframe it, um, that, you know, she's getting her needs met. Um, and that it's really, if I reframe it and from her perspective, she's getting love from both parents because how I was initially seeing it was that like, it was a, um, I've done a little bit of work with Jillian Tarecki. I did her like heartbreak course. Um, and she talks about blueprints. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, but it's kind of like basically expectations. Like it's what I expected or what a mom looks like to me. Um, and to me, a mom is always there. Right. Um, and I'm like, I'm only there half the time. Um, so that, getting over that, like kind of changing my blueprint of what a mom looks like. Um, yeah. Um, has been a really, uh, something I really had to do work on. Um, I'm still not there. (laughs) Um, but, um, something that, you know, I've identified to put words to, um, and I will say, yeah, we have a very good relationship. Um, so like just on Saturday, she was technically with him and I like brought dinner over and we ate dinner together. So I was still able to see her. Um, 
Hmm. So Liz, I'm just yeah. going to like, I'm going to put words to a few things that I know that, you know, but I just want to like make the statements. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to speak first to what you said about the kind of blueprints or like the expectations of what a mom looks like. Um, and I love that you have that cognitive frame in your mind of, I know that this isn't realistic, right? Like moms are there all the time. We all know that that's not the truth, nor is it healthy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the mom or the kid um, at the end of the day, even if you're in the partnership still, like mom can't be there all the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I know we know this, but it doesn't feel like that's the truth. It sounds like in her head that it's a truth. We know that it feels different and, and that's okay. Um, I also want to put words to, this is grief work, mm. right? And, and the hard thing about grief work is that there's no linear path. There's no ending point. There's no checklist or light switch when like, okay, and now the grief work is done, right? Like I understand it conceptually, I've reframed it and now I have moved past. Like that's just not how it works. Um, and so I, I say that, I guess, all to say like, this is going to be a squiggly line process for you. Um, some days will be better. Some days will not. Your kiddo's also two, which is such a hard age to be away from them, period. I mean, my kiddo's two, I get that. Um, and I guess I'm just, I'm putting some of these statements kind of out there, I suppose, in the ether, just to like make sure that we're all on the same page with like all of these like truths, right? Like conflicting, opposing, whatever they might be, they're all just like truths that exist out there. Right. You know? Yeah. And I feel like I want to jump in with just a couple of, you know, obviously what Vanessa said, I think there's no one who is a mama who can't just feel like the ping of pain in our hearts that we all feel as mamas um, with the idea of like not having access to our kid at any moment when we want to need to feel the longing to, right? That's real. And as someone who also, um, you know, is divorced and co-parents with a child, I will say that I think the gift of your situation is having this relationship with your daughter's father. You know, I think that just puts you so many thousands of strides ahead of so many people who, you know, have sort of like challenging combative relationships with a co-parent. The fact that you guys are able to be in a pretty good place and hopefully able to cultivate a friendship um, is such an unbelievable gift, right? Now, what I will say about a two-year-old, and Vanessa and I were just having this conversation, as much as it is going to be the tension of holding a few opposite truths at the same time, one that I'm going to miss her, you know, there are going to be ways that this is just going to be challenging that sometimes um, I'm not with her. One thing I will say that one of my girlfriends told me when my kiddo was young that was super helpful is children, especially at this age, have no concept of time. So- (laughs) for you, it's like, I'm away from her for 36 hours. Like she's not like how many more hours until mommy's back? <laughs> that's your stuff, right? Like, that's like what yeah. we're doing, but they don't have an awareness of that. This is just like daddy time. Like you could be gone for a week and it'd be like, mom was gone for five minutes and here she is again. Right. Like she doesn't feel that the way that you feel that. So that's a little like, ah, oh, okay. Well that, mm-hmm. that I feel like feels better to understand, but that also, Um, you know, you sort of touched on this a little bit in the blueprinting. And I think what was really helpful for me that my therapist helped me reframe was a little of what you're saying is that, you know, this really gives her an opportunity to cultivate such a solid 
um, connection with her father and that she has these two experiences of each parent. And I, you know, how do I allow that to be something beautiful for her without energetically? And listen, this is the hard part, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. energetically putting on her what that feels like for me, meaning mm-hmm. she is a little GPS system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She picks up everything you feel is like, she, like, you don't have to say a word. <laughs> you don't have to like, even make a look like she feels what her mama feels. So this is like the wholehearted embodiment of how do I drop into what is beautiful for her about getting to spend this time with her daddy so that she doesn't have to feel like, Ooh, something's wrong here. I'm leaving. Yeah. yeah. Mom, like mommy's going to be sad. Like energetically, she will feel it. Even if that is not what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. This is all just like really heavy, but yes. Um, really helpful. Mm. I mean, Liz, this, it's, it's fucking sad. Like that's what I was saying about grief work and the sense of like tending to yourself during this, you know, and it sounds like you are, and I'm love that you have, you know, your own therapist and, and it's like a little bit, of this is going to be just being with yourself and being compassionate and being tender and letting yourself cry and letting yourself feel all the feelings and, you know, doing this thing that we do, which is like dance between the rational mind and like the mm-hmm. thinking body um, right. and, and not trying to like rationalize your way out of feeling and not, not allowing the feeling to also overcome the mind. Right. And, and it's a practice and it's a dance and it's messy. Yeah. But I love all the things that you both said and um, especially kind of me projecting how I feel about the situation onto her and kind of letting letting the it is beautiful that we can like all hang out together mm-hmm. um I don't know what that would look like if one of us like found another partner and that's kind of my like sticking point um for me moving on um is her um I can't, I can't, um, I know I sound like super emotional right now. Um, just because, um, you know, I've been really looking forward to talking to you guys just as both moms, because my therapist is a man and he's wonderful. Um, he's very good at what he does. Um, but you guys have a, you know, obviously, Um, you're both females, you're both moms. Um, and you have a more like spiritual, soulful feel, um, which I'm, I need, um, and I'm looking for and probably need to kind of like maybe add to my, um, you know, coach therapy life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I, everybody tells me this and I'm, I'm tired of hearing it, but like, they're like, you know, it's so early. Like you don't need to move on, you know, blah, blah, blah. you don't need to date. Oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, but, and like, <laughs> like who's telling you that? <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> lot of people. Um, but you know, I don't know what that's, that's honestly like when I try to like look forward to that, I'm like, wait, I don't want to start a new life that's mm. outside of, you know, and that's just, my gut and it's probably like irrational you know it's like I I I, I do I over into uh I intellectualize things yeah, yeah. um well, you're I'm trying one to of those. I, for something that you don't actually know what it's going to look like right yeah it's right. so human of you because this is what we do to try to anticipate and plan for and 
you know, and that's great. I mean, you can have some kind of idea in your head, but you don't, you won't know until you're in it, you know, what it, right. what it's going to look like. And there's also a little bit of holding space for that uncomfortable reality too, of like, it's going to be based on who you meet. It's going to be based on, you know, who your partner meets. It's, I mean, it's, there's just so many variables. Um, something that I have been pretty good at recently, which I can't say I have definitely strengthened this. I don't know if it's a skill. It feels good to me is really being present in like the day. Um, and just like, this is working now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, if it's going to work tomorrow, but it's working now and it's okay now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to live in that. Like when I get into that space where like people ask me questions, well, like, well, how's that going to work? Or, you know, if X, Y, Z happens and then I try to like defend myself or like try to say, well, you know, I'm like, wait, like I just spiraled out of something that I can't even control. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like we might not even be here. Like what, why am I stressing about these potential things? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And absolutely people will attempt to put their fear into your sphere. So what I would say is the spiritual perspective to hold is that in every moment we are choosing between fear and love. And I remember Mm -hmm. when my marriage ended, um, I just had sort of that recognition that I needed to make love the North star. And if in every moment I could attempt to say, okay, all of the fears about what could conceivably come up with either of us being with a new person, all of those things are not real yet. Like you're speaking to, Mm -hmm. but when those fears come up, what would love say about this? Right. And I think that when we stay in the lane of love and let love sort of be what is motivating our actions as much as possible. And it's such a practice. We Mm -hmm. are often delightfully surprised by, you know, the unspoken, unforeseen gifts that come out of that, that we could have never imagined. For instance, um, my ex's girlfriend is one of my favorite people on the planet. Mm and is just so much more love for my child. Like she adores him, pours so much love into him. And that is just so much more love in his life. Now, Mm -hmm. the voice of fear in me, when I first met her could have said like, ah, new woman trying to come in and corrupt my child (laughs) or whatever the thoughts might've been. Exactly. But you know, that is the ego's voice. That is the voice of fear. The voice of love says, this is happening. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how do I attempt to know her? How do I attempt Mm -hmm. to see her? How do I attempt to really be present with this person as a human being versus the construct that society might put in my head about who she is? Like Vanessa just said, someone to replace me, whatever the story might be, right? But how do I Mm -hmm. continuously, as you're speaking to in the present moment, bring myself back to the space of what would love say about this? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I listened to your I listened to all the episodes of your podcast. So I know you talk a lot about that, you know, and I have, that has helped me identify that I was previously living in such a fear-based mindset and a scarcity mindset. And that I, and you just said it, it's a practice, right? Mm -hmm. So when that had been my patterning for so long, I catch myself now like, oh, you're doing that thing. Like you're not, kissing her because you just want her to feel love you're afraid it might be the last time like Mm. like literally like that's how I lived my life Mm. and 
I'm trying to change it. Um, and I'm, you know, one step at a time, but yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I love that. And that, that brings relief to me, just hearing you say that about your ex and his new girlfriend. And it just makes sense. It lands with me. Yeah. I think our lives are what we decide they are, Liz. You know, there's so many ways that we have been taught, like you were saying, of the paradigm of what a mother needs to be or what a family looks needs to look like. We decide. We decide what a family is. You know, my ex is my best friend on the planet because I decided that I was going to continue to love the father of my child. And I, you know, I think you guys have a good relationship, it sounds like, right? So how do I build on that? How do I say, I want my child to experience me as loving her father? That matters to me. That's important, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I love that. You know, going a little bit into this realm of, because you mentioned in your, um, your email, like this kind of, oh, I, you know, maybe this is codependency or, yeah. and I, and I want to say too, that just, this kind of just popped my mind. Um, another, I guess, reframe that my therapist gave me. I love it. It's like the, the conjoining of <laughs> coming into the room together. <laughs> um, six degrees of, ther of therapy separation. Um, when I was struggling and I mean, my partner and I obviously are together with our little one, but there's still that struggle around, you know, they don't do it the way I do. And when they're with yeah. them and not me. And so that doesn't even matter if you're actually together or not, that's still there. Mm -hmm. And I was really struggling with something and, and he made a really good point around. So I was talking about my upbringing, right. And similar to yours, Liz, like really just fear-based, like that's what I brought into is my patterning. Um, you know, everything is around protecting, um, you know, for fear of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, these are just mm -hmm. so much of the construct right? mm -hmm. that I came into a relationship mm -hmm. with. And come into parenting with. And one of the things that we were talking about was this idea of resiliency, right? Like building emotional resilience in our children. And I was really struggling around um, not doing things that I was raised with or not giving her things I was raised with. And, you know, just this kind of back and forth around what is resiliency, what is not. And he actually made a really good point, which was this. He said, you also have to think about it like this, when they are with that other person, and this could be partner, this could be grandma, this could actually be anybody, school, um, when they're with that other person and you're actually not with them, right? They are actually able to build a resiliency in a way that you're not aware of. So hmm. um, they have a need. Let's just use a really simple example because your kids too, so is mine. They tell you mm -hmm. what they want. Usually mom speaks their language, right? Like a lot of mm -hmm. people can't understand what she's saying half the time. I'm fluent, right? Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. if I'm there and she says, mom, I want a juice, I know exactly what she needs and I get her her juice. If I'm not there and she says, we'll just say, dad, I need a juice. And he's like, what, what, what? And she gets frustrated and pissed off and upset <laughs> because she, she doesn't understand her. She doesn't understand him. They have this kind of emotional turmoil or conflict, right? And at some point it gets resolved in whatever way they're going to resolve it. Whether she grabs his hand and she brings him to the refrigerator and shows him, whether he gives up and walks away, whatever that is, there's actually a moment in that where there's a strengthening of resiliency for her because mm -hmm. she's not with somebody who's going to meet her need exactly the quote unquote right way all the mm -hmm. time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had this real aha moment when he said that, when I was like, Oh my God, you're so right. Because even in that simple little example I gave, she's learning to advocate for herself. She's learning to, you know, demand 
her needs to be met. She, you know, whatever we could go on and on. Um, but we don't think about those moments in that way. And so I don't know what that gives you, but for me, when he reframed that, I was like, Oh shit, you're so right. And that has given me a lot of peace around those moments when I can't be there to meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that so much. I think as mamas, we have such a strong innate (laughs) desire to protect our children from anything that could possibly harm them at all costs. And what we forget sometimes is that is not always the thing that is preparing them for life. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I know there are ways, like I went on my first trip away from my kiddo and I came back and he was like (laughs) climbing and doing things that he didn't do with me that his dad pushed him to do because he believed in his resiliency a little bit where sometimes I just wanted to put him in bubble wrap and keep him safe. His dad was like, no, you got this buddy. I believe in you, which made him believe in himself and his ability to do that. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's important too. You know? Right. Vanessa, I always remember the story you told on one of the episodes about like, I don't know if this actually happened, but you were, it was an example you gave about like, maybe your kid has to get sunburned for the dad to learn how like that they need to pack sunscreen or something like that. Like, and but so I think about that a lot and Hmm. my codependency, like damn has come a long way. Like, I mean, now I just like, if he's not picking up and I know that they're supposed to be somewhere, I'm like, well, they'll figure it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, instead of like driving over there and being like, are you awake? Are you going? Are you, you know, so. Totally. You know. And you know what, if they don't and they don't make it there and then and it's fine. And then like, you know what, <laughs> let them be in their conflict together, you know, because right. they got to work that shit out. And, and again, like, what does she get as an opportunity to learn in those moments? It's like, she gets an opportunity to advocate. She gets an opportunity to say, I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed right. in, you know, I mean, obviously she's not there yet verbally, but you no. know what I mean, it's like that relationship between the two of them is just as much a testing ground for her as an adult, as your relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And so the things that she's going to learn when she's not with you to Danae's point are going to be just as important, um, than what she's going to learn when she's with you, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And something else I just wanted to like touch on is the fact that I feel like unless I'm just looking at the wrong spaces, I feel like this is not talked about like ever. Like, I don't know. And I also think it's because I know a lot of moms who have primary custody of their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so that has also felt like I'm not a real mom. I'm a half mom, you know, but my therapist was like, no, like, because you're not, because I know you're always thinking about her and like, Liz, you are establishing. It's like Danae said earlier, like you get to decide. Right. We have been living under a very specific social construct for a very long time. And we are Mm -hmm. in a new generation of especially women, but men too, that are like, no, this doesn't make sense. Like who wrote this rule? You right. Know? And like, right. I mean, I'm speaking for Danae here, but you guys are basically 50, 52. And like, it's better for them. If you guys are able to give that to them in a loving way, then why not? You know, yeah. right. says what is quote unquote, like the right way to do it. Right. And the reframe I just want to offer a little bit building on what Vanessa just said is I think that what we are seeing is a paradigm shift of men, fathers being more involved in their children's lives. And that's a mm-hmm. good thing. This yeah. it is a good celebrate, thing. Yes. right? Yes. And so as we celebrate that, what I would like to offer for you to hold is the reframe is, you know, Shanicia Boswell said something that I thought was so profound and I loved it. She said, I don't call myself a single mother because I'm not a single mother. I have a child with a very involved father. 
what I am mm. is a single woman with a child. And so what that <laughs> means is I get to have all of these benefits being a single woman, but with a very involved father. So you get to have a lot of opportunities as a single woman with a child that single moms don't always get to have when they don't have the support of a father like you right. do. So in that way, we want to celebrate your little girl's dad because that's beautiful. That to me is expansion and growth and all of the good things we want to be becoming. You know what I mean? Society, yeah. 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 I mean, it is. I mean, I know it's amazing. I know, yes, it's all the good things. So I totally am thankful for that for her mm-hmm. and for me too. Yeah. And and like I was saying about the opposing truths, and you yes, and yes, and you still yeah. you still live in this society. We're still in a patriarchal structure. The courts still on on average still better, you know outweigh the mom to the dad. Like this is just still the contract the, the construct that we're in, and we can't like deny that that's the case. You know that's the thing about like this idea of being a trailblazer. Like yeah, that's great, but there's still a trail behind you that's been blazed, and that's not fun. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like we can hold all these like these are amazing, and also it's difficult, you know. And and they don't have to. One doesn't have to outweigh the other. One doesn't have to dismiss the other. Like this is this like, act of presence, which you said you've really been working on. Of like, you know, I am sad in this moment, and I also realize that this is a good thing. I am Mm -hmm. fearful in this moment. And I also know that I want to act from love and that's what this would look like, right? Like we're, we can constantly do that as a practice too, in that act of presence, which is like, I am sad and I am upset and, um, and it takes a little bit of the, like the energy or the power out of the quote unquote negative and by just like stating it as it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the grief thing really landed for me too, because I've always like just kind of thought it was linear and definitely not. Yeah. So, well, Liz, I feel like if there's, I mean, we could just talk to you forever because we like have the mama rep we want to get into, but will you do us a favor and write Vanessa and I and just let us know how it's going? Because I feel like in this year of two, things are going to shift a lot <laughs> and um, we'd love to hear about how it's going. Okay. Yeah. yeah thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm glad we were able to get on together. Me too. All right. We'll speak to you soon. Take care. Oh my goodness. I just want to wrap my arms around that mama. Oh, my mama bear heartstrings. I know. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's just really important just to go back to what we talked about in the episode, you know, so, so many processes I think that we deal with as human beings can be and I, and this isn't, it, this isn't to actually minimize, but it's actually, I think a point of clarification can be put under the umbrella of grief. Mm. And I, I, I think that we don't recognize that enough as a society, right? It's like, mm-hmm. we want things to make sense in a way that the process of grief does not allow for, um, nor should it allow for, like, that is not what the process of grief is, right? Like it's, it's bigger than that sometimes. And that can be frustrating as a human on this human plane. Um, but I do think that for a lot of us, when somebody does say to us, like, you are grieving and this is not linear, Mm -hmm. there is a moment of like, Oh, you know, and I, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm recapturing that moment because for whoever's listening out there, you know, if, if you're struggling with something and you're trying to make sense of something and that feels like it lands for you, take it because I yeah. know it's been really helpful for me. 
Absolutely. I think there's, you know, as in so many of the things we process, I think there's power in saying something out loud to sort of take away the what is wrong with me that I still feel this way around whatever the thing is. Um, I also, said, by the way, like she said that in her email around like, you know, I should be, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but basically like I should be further along, right? Like it shouldn't hurt yeah. as much as it does. So anyway. Yeah. It's just so much normalizing of what is challenging and how we start to expand into the reframes that we talked about. You know, I think it's exciting listening to someone like Liz and just this reminder that a lot of these paradigms of what we have had in terms of the limitations of what families and family structures can look like are shifting, you know, even like fathers being more involved in that, like not being necessarily something we want to see as, um, a bad thing, even though there are challenging aspects of that as a mother, there is also what is so beautiful about a child having a father who's really, really present and involved in their life, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, trailblazers, like mm. that's awesome. And it's really hard to be in the forefront of a cultural shift in any way. Um, because we don't always really have people to look to, right. That have done it before us because we're, we're forging that new trail. And so there's a lot of us out there in a lot of different ways that I'm sure can really relate to that feeling of like, but I don't have anybody to see who's done it before me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. That wrong. That's right. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. 